0: We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC or our website CreekwoodUMC.org for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God.
1: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Galatians. are these words from chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. From Apostle Paul. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for the fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
2: So, have you ever heard a worse name for a religious group than the Circumcision Faction? <laughs> I, I don't think that James's marketing department jumped on that very well, or perhaps maybe Paul snuck that in there. Um, someone at the end of the traditional service said that that sounded like the worst Christian band name of all time. Uh, so, if you're thinking about forming a band after the service, you know what to avoid uh, going forward. So, uh, we're going to get to Galatians chapter two. We're going to get to this spat between. Peter, uh, which is Cephas, uh, and Paul. But feel like we need to fill in the story arc, maybe a little bit, of how this moment comes about that Peter and Paul, two huge figures in the church, are fighting with each other um, over uh, who's allowed at the table. And we're going to start with—there was a story from John 4 that I shared last week, and we shared out of John 4 to 39, where the woman at the well is— uh, in conversation with Jesus, almost confronted by Jesus, and ends up having her heart changed and going and spreading the gospel to her uh, Samaritan village. And it's this big, awe-inspiring moment. But to really grasp the um, awe of that moment, we've got to go from verse 39 back to verse 9 in chapter 4 of John. It says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Because Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. It sets the cultural stage for who was in and who was out, who was over and who was against, who was for and who was with, with this dynamic between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so here we have kind of this cultural underlying values Uh, of, of who is included in each other's homes. And we can see this as we're going to fast forward through most of the Gospels, but we're going to stop in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus goes up in front of his synagogue in Nazareth and proclaims these words that are mostly from Isaiah, but also bring up images of Leviticus 25 that say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And these are coming out of images in Leviticus 25 and what is uh, what lays out what's called the year of jubilee, the jubilee year. And the year of jubilee is every 50th year, there's kind of this rest period for the earth. They don't even harvest everything. They give the, the earth a chance to rest, and they forgive debts without consequence, and they let slaves go free. It is this uh, world, this community-wide cultural reset so that nobody has any master but Yahweh, so that everybody can stand on their own two feet, so that everybody is on an even playing field, kind of a reset of society, so that everybody has the chance to use the giftedness that God has blessed them with, even if they made bad decisions, even if they got into a hard situation, even if the debt piled up, they were free after this. So Jesus is making an to getting everybody on the same page again. And then we're going to fast forward. We're going to go to Acts chapter 10. And Peter comes in here, because Peter is having this dream where he is laying on a blanket, and it's the greatest dream in the world, because he's laying on a blanket, and he's just surrounded by all this food. Um, but it's unclean food. It's the kind of food that Jewish people weren't allowed to eat. It, um, it was pork. It was bacon. It was shrimp. It was all these things. And I, Most of you are thinking, that sounds like a fantastic dream, um, right? He's surrounded by all these things, and here's this voice from heaven that says, get up, Peter. Kill and eat, which sounds like a great command. But Peter, in his righteousness to the law, says, by no means, Lord, which is a great response when God tells you to do something, by no means, Lord, if I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. Because Peter is still stuck in this understanding that there are just some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And I'm not talking about, like, righteousness. I'm not talking about the way that Jesus commands us to live. I'm talking about who's in and who's out. Because the entire dream sequence is about his interaction with a Roman centurion and whether this Roman centurion can be included in the community of Christ. In which they had been seen as violent or oppressive as they were seen as unclean, Peter is now invited and called to invite this Roman person into the fold of of jesus followers that consider themselves still jewish and this is a very very major deal and we see where we get to galatians that peter is still in this place of of asking the question are they really worthy enough to be in my presence are they really worthy enough to eat at my house Are, are they the same as me are they really okay to be around and god still be happy with that relationship are they worthy enough Because in Acts chapter 10, Peter has this dream, and he says, okay, Lord, I finally—he gets it, he understands. And in Acts chapter 11, he is seen eating with Gentiles, and the Pharisees and the priests come and condemn him for it, and he defends his behavior about how the resurrection changes the game, how Jesus changes the game, and we are called to invite everybody, no matter what, to the grace and peace of Jesus Christ, and to have faith in Jesus' salvific acts on the cross. And even in Acts chapter 15, there's this— whole scene where Paul is trying to get commissioned to go preach the gospel out around the Mediterranean, and Peter responds with these words that after much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. So all the way from this cultural construct of Jews versus Samaritans to Acts 15 where Peter sees himself as somebody who is going to reach the unreachable going to commune and have fellowship with the unclean, the people who are outside the fold. Peter sees himself as an open-ended person, someone who wants to expand the kingdom as opposed to keep the kingdom exclusive to the Jewish people. So this is his view that he sees himself in, but the problem that Paul points out is that Peter sees himself in this light, but he's not always acting in this way. When Peter is when when Paul confronts Peter, Peter has started to open up his dinner table. He started to open up his life to the Gentiles. But then the people from James came in—that really Christ, bad Christian band, the circumcision faction. They, they come in, and, and there is this belief there's this belief. Yes, what do we say we're, we're saved? We're saved by grace through faith, right? That is the only requirement of Jesus Christ's kingdom, that we understand that our salvation is nothing we can earn, it's nothing we can do. It is given by God's grace through Jesus Christ, and it is our faith in Christ that invites us into the kingdom of heaven, invites us in to claim this lifestyle. But James is saying, yeah, that's true and all, but if you're not circumcised first, you can't really get to that point. You've got to be Jewish before you can be a Christian. You've got to be Jewish, you've got to follow the law, you've got to do all these things, and then you get Jesus' of forgiveness. Then you, you get over here. And, and that's not what Peter believed, it's not what he claimed, but but when Peter was pressed into the old way, he quickly succumbed to peer pressure to get back into what he's always known. See, I'm convinced that most of the discrimination in our church, in our church the, not our church, but the church, and most of the discrimination around the world is not intentional. I'm convinced that when people are left out, it is usually not some intentional act of being mean. It is simply that we're not comfortable being uncomfortable. So I went on Facebook, just because that's where wisdom comes from, right? And so um, I I was writing the sermon, and I just put out to the community and just said, hey, what is the modern-day equivalent of Jews who wanted you to be circumcised before You could be a Christian, and it it only took a few minutes before my my feed was just filled, and notifications were popping up, and it it seems that almost everybody had had some sort of experience, or they'd witnessed some experience, where people were trying to get invested, like actively investing themselves in a church, and told they were not welcome in one way or another. And and like I'm going to say, when you hear these examples, you're going to hear most of them are completely unintentional. But there were some that they went in and they didn't have the right dress code for example like they wore shorts to easter and people just looked at them as though don't you know don't you know what you're not supposed to do here what you what you're supposed to do and now we wear we have people that wear short sleeves on a regular basis here but i was a assistant youth pastor in georgia and it was this sanctuary and it was this great southern marble sanctuary it was huge and uh the first day on the job i'm thinking i'm working with teenagers right youth ministers are supposed to be able to get away with anything um, and so I walked into this huge marble Georgia sanctuary and I've got have got a shirt on and it's a Christian t-shirt But it's a t-shirt and um, the usher stops me on the way in and says you might want to think about changing before you come in here And I wasn't welcome because of the dress code Now, other people, it's different things. Some people, it's dress code. Some people, it's hairstyle. Some people, it's economics. Some people, um, some person messaged me a story where um, they drove into a church, and everybody had a Mercedes or a BMW or or better, and there's nothing wrong with having those things. It was just they drove a 30-year-old, beat-up Honda Accord, because Honda Accords run forever. And uh, they went in there, and they walked in, and someone said, oh, are you donating that to the church today? And uh, said, well, no, no, that's my car. And I said, well, where's your other car? Because people around here, well, people don't drive those kind of things around here. Right, and, and there's no intentionality of being mean. It wasn't like I'm gonna flaunt my wealth in front of you. It's okay to own a Mercedes. It's just not okay to assume that everybody's going to own a Mercedes if they're going to be welcome in that place. It's also not okay when a woman walks in and the first question they're asked is, where's your husband today? Or a young man or old man walks in. Where's your wife today? Assuming that, well, the only people that we welcome here are families. Same thing happens when people walk in and they say, oh, where are your children today? Assuming that families or churches are made up of only families who still have kids who live at home or are able to have kids in the first place. Right? And see, none of those are intentional. None of those are mean. But when you're looking at this young man who is walking in without a wife and you're saying, well, where's your wife? You're saying, well, you alone are not important enough to be here. You alone are not important enough to be at the kingdom of God. You need somebody to accompany with you in order to be holy, right? There's, there's an unintentional standard that we're setting in that place. Instead of looking at the person and saying, you know what? I am so glad you are here today. You, in all your glory and God's creation, I am so glad you are here, com- whatever you may bring with you to this. There were people that told stories of how they were a pregnant teenager and they sat down in church and you know they just couldn't help noticing that everybody kept staring at them while the sermon was about grace there's this one story that was messaged in um, from a church i used to work at in kansas it was after i left it's a church about a similar size. It's about 1,000 members, and they have a worship attendance normally around, you know, 440, 50, 500, kind of like Creekwood. And um, so they messaged me this story in which a gentleman uh, really needed to get back in church. And this gentleman had a 16-year-old who has what we would call special needs or learning challenges. And uh, knew that there was going to be loud noises that are being made. One of the challenges was Tourette's syndrome, and Tourette's is where you cannot control sometimes how you move or sometimes how you speak. And so brought his 16 year-old son with him, understanding the challenges of that situation, knowing that there are going to be loud noises that just come from the back pew, knowing that his son is going to just have to get up and walk around the back a little bit because that's what he has to do in school to be comfortable at times and just let his body move to. Into- soak in the information and the environment that's coming in. And so uh, this man brings his son to church and um, the people around him are just effusive with their welcome. They are so, we're delighted for you to be here. And the entire time they're kind of talking about their church like, oh my gosh, we're the most welcoming place in the entire world. We're so grateful that you would think of our church to bring your son to this place to worship. And they're just so proud of themselves and and so welcoming for the first like five to ten minutes. And then um, you know, the worship starts, and, and you sing, and there's noise, and, that, and that's fine, and then the sermon starts, and of course, you all know that the sermon is just full of eloquent wisdom every single week, and so you're supposed to listen within 10 ears all the time, and uh, and sure enough, the, I mean, the yelling starts, and you know, he sees the eyes, right? The eyes go back, and they're looking and thinking, what is going on? No one is comfortable with the situation, and then when he comes back on week two, and, and week three, he starts to notice that everybody that was sitting right in front of him or, or right beside him in the pews has moved up a pew or two and moved over to the left side even more in week four they they're a little bit farther away in week five is finally when the the pastor comes back um says you know finishes up his sermon they're singing the song and he's going to the back and he makes his way to the side corner where they're sitting and um and just says you know we're really glad you're here but i just if i could talk to you after service that would be great so pastor greets everybody and this man stays and you know is working with his son and um so they they go back over in the corner and pastor tries to be discreet about it and just says so a lot of the members are talking and they've come to me and they're just not comfortable with the worship situation of you bringing your son in here and so what I would like for you to do get this like a, like a mom with a screaming baby I would like for you to go out into the foyer area to be respectful of everybody else and then when you have your son under control, you can bring him back into the worship environment and you can rejoin our worship. First of all, raise your hand if you've ever been the parent with a screaming baby in church before. Okay, for those of you watching online, there's a lot of hands raised in this worship environment, which means we've all been there, right? If you're the parent who has a screaming baby in your lap, you know that's uncomfortable. You're the closest to the screaming. Your ears are bleeding with the screaming that you're holding this child, and you're uncomfortable because your child is obviously upset, and you're stressed because of that. And not only that, you know it's bothering everybody else. You know that it's disrupting things. You know that it's slightly an inconvenience to have a screaming baby anywhere. And so imagine telling the parent of a screaming baby who's already stressed, could you just leave while the rest of us are comfortable? Could you leave while the rest of us have moments of peace, while you go just extend your moment of discomfort, when maybe all you were looking for was a community to say, it's okay to be uncomfortable right? This dad, he knows what it's like. He's got to get his son dressed every morning. He's got to get his son in the car, which is a fight, every single morning. He's got to work through the different paperwork systems of what it takes to be in the special education programs at school every morning and every year that he goes through these things. That dad knows what it's like to be uncomfortable. He doesn't need the pastor to remind him that he is making everybody uncomfortable. He's in it. He knows all he's looking for is a moment of peace, all he's looking for is a group of people that will be uncomfortable with him for just a little bit, so that he can experience good news for once, so he can experience peace, so he can experience rest, so he can belong. He doesn't need to know that he's inconvenienced, inconvenience. He needs to know that he's loved. He doesn't need to know God's judgment. He needs to know God's grace. And this is where Paul has a leg to stand on when he's arguing with Peter. And pointing out, Peter, I know you didn't mean to do this, but... Because Paul has had such an uncomfortable experience. As he's walking to Damascus, he is blinded by this light. And in an instant, he is confronted with everything from his past that does not live into the grace of God's kingdom. And Paul has this incredible, uncomfortable experience, so much so that when we get to Philippians 4.13, he is uncomfortable, or he is comfortable being uncomfortable in the prison because what he's doing in that prison is leading to comfort for other people. It's leading to peace for more people. It's leading to a better world. It's leading to a better kingdom. He's willing to be uncomfortable in that prison cell if it leads to more comfort for other people. He's willing to be uncomfortable with those who are uncomfortable. And even at the end of the 1 Corinthians letter, he writes to them that people who were uh, uncomfortable, there were some people who were just fine eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. That didn't affect their spirituality, but there were others who that really affected. And so what does he say? He doesn't say, you know what, if you're not gonna eat the meat, could you go out in the lobby for a little bit and let us do our thing in here? Paul says, you know, until they're comfortable, don't eat the meat. Be uncomfortable with them so they can see the love of God. Be uncomfortable with them so that they can be comfortable with you and they can find the peace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I don't believe that the times that we leave people out, I don't believe that most of the discrimination in the world is intentional, I just think that we are uncomfortable being uncomfortable. We are uncomfortable with anything that is outside of our normal understanding of what society is, or what church is, or what our life is supposed to look like. And I'm really thrilled, one of the things I'm thrilled about, about Creekwood, if you're new with us today, is um, when we have screaming babies in the audience, I don't see a lot of side eyes. And I think it's because we've had so many people who have been there. But When there's a screaming baby, nobody, like, nobody is doing this. Which is funny, it's because we had a baby last service, and everyone was like, trying really hard after I said that not to look at the baby. like They didn't want to be the one that was caught. Right, when we have people who bring their children who have uh, different needs than uh, maybe some of us do, there's no side eyes, there's no judgment. I'm proud of that. I'm proud that people come in suits and ties as well as people who come in shorts. I'm proud that we don't tend to have a lot of judgment about who is allowed in our worship space and who is allowed to be a Christian. And I'm really excited about the partners that we have in our community who open up the door to God's love to anyone and everyone, especially people who don't always fit in. And one of those partners is is Cornerstone Ranch. I love that we've gotten involved with Cornerstone Ranch and I love that we have um, two of our very own church members who are being honored with the Community Partner Award, which is like Volunteer of the Year Superstar Partners um, because they've dedicated so much of their time to uh, influencing this church to partner with Cornerstone, to help Cornerstone, to create this environment where the ranchers over there they, they have this philosophy over there they have this philosophy that all people have the gifts of the spirit and all people have the opportunity to live abundant life in jesus christ that all people like no one's supposed to be put in a corner no one's supposed to go out in the lobby everybody is supposed to be in the kingdom of god and participate in the kingdom of god and i want to invite barry harris and rebecca hemkins to come up on stage with me um, to be recognized and honored because uh, rebecca leads our sub team and our missions is divided into sub teams now and she leaves our sub team For the mission group um, to inspire our church towards um, activity at cornerstone ranch and partnership with cornerstone ranch relationship with the ranchers um, to love them well and to showcase god's goodness to them and and barry and her family have gone over um, multiple times uh, during covid and before to uh, drop off baskets of food and to love the ranchers over there and rebecca uh, one of the things she's done is every month has put together a themed basket Uh, associated with a theme of that month go over and bless the ranchers to let them know that even though we are not necessarily over there in person because of COVID and all that they are loved and they are welcomed and there is a church there is a church right down the road who believes that God's abundant love is for every single one of those ranchers just like it would be for any other person that we might encounter. And so I wanted to show them off. Um, the first thing Rebecca said after I bragged on them at the first service was, no, 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 we're accepting this word for Creekwood. And I want you to know that they are, but these two individuals have really lived out the example that Paul sets and that there's no obstacle that we place in terms of sharing God's love. There's no challenge that is too great in sharing God's love. They are living examples that everybody is invited Actively invited to knowing God's love for them. And so we're really thankful for y'all and I want to give them a standing ovation if you would So we're really proud you can sit down if you want to you're welcome to stand if you want but um, Sure, you can go they both didn't want to be up on stage Um, They really didn't want to, but I made them be up here. So we're really proud of them. They're being honored at the Cornerstone Ranch Gala, which uh, Carrie Lynn will talk about in the announcements here for a little bit. But we're really honored um, that uh, two people from our church are being recognized for exactly what Paul is doing out around the Mediterranean Sea to invite people into the love of God. Uh, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, and so I want to pray. They sat down already because I know they didn't want to be up here, but I want to pray for them. And by doing so, as we end, as as we pray for blessings continued upon our partnership with Cornerstone Ranch, uh, I want to invite you to think of who the Gentile is in your life. Who is it that is a little bit challenging to extend the love of God to, but you know you need to. Who doesn't quite fit in at your dinner table? but might be a good guest to invite sometime. So let's pray, would you? Gracious God, we give you thanks for the witness of Barry Harris and Rebecca Hemkins, their families, as they have showcased what this church is all about, of growing, continuing to grow deep roots with a community that we love and sharing God's love regularly with them. Lord, help us to um, take that inspiration and see where we might fit where is our mission where is our partners where are our friends that we need to make and to uh, invite to sit with us and to eat with us knowing that you have opened the kingdom to all people through the game-changing love of jesus christ god the gentile before us may we not put any stumbling blocks between them and your love In fact, may we rip the stumbling block away so that we might be the open wide gate in Revelation that showcases such effervescent light that they will know that they are chosen and loved and they might also live into the righteousness of Jesus. God, whatever face is before us, may we be bold in our discomfort. May we be bold in our witness. May our love shine above all things as it did when you changed the game by sending your son to die for us and to rise again. And it's in your son's name that we pray blessing over our ministries here. We pray blessing over our friends at Cornerstone Ranch. We pray blessings across the ocean and Zoe and we pray, breath, play, pray blessings upon any of the Gentiles before us. It's in your son's name, Lord, that we ask for this courage. And these blessings Amen
0: Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website Creekwoodumc.org for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.